Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. This past week, one day, I ducked into a local supermarket to pick up a few items, kind of dashed through the aisles and grabbed what I needed, and then ran up and got into the express lane to check out. There were two or three people in front of me, and so I had a chance to look at the gentleman who was checking us out. And I could see that his name tag said that he was the store manager. Thought, well, he's not behind a desk or a window today. He's out doing the work that needs to be done connecting with customers. When I got up there, he he was very friendly, very engaged, talking and asking, how's your day looking? I said, well, it's pretty busy. You're working? Yes, sir. And we exchanged back and forth two or three times. And then he said, so so what do you do for work? Three words managed to end the conversation. I'm a pastor. He never said another word. He didn't say, sorry about that. He didn't say, hold on, life gets better. He didn't say, come again when you can't stay so long. He didn't even say, well, have a good day. He he didn't say anything. I left the store, and not one more word passed between us. Now, I know you're saying, well, you know, he he got distracted. There were a lot of people. It was a busy day. There was in line. He had to stay focused. on. All of that may be true, except I've had enough exchanges like that to doubt those other explanations. Somehow, there are just certain words that shut the conversation down. As I was driving away from the supermarket, I started thinking about you, you, my beloved family. I started thinking about today, and I thought the word that I want to talk about today has the potential to just shut down the conversation. When I say it, you'll get quiet. Many of you will look down, a couple of you will slip out, nothing for me here. It's just that kind of word. And yet the truth is we have to deal with it, we have to state it, we have to understand it, especially since we're in a series entitled Unprofessional, with a subtitle like God's Design for Ministry, because we're thinking about the church as Jesus envisioned it and the church as it has become. Something happened on the way. What was it that happened, and why are we not more like the church he envisioned? I actually think that the story can be told in understanding five terms. Five terms. That's what we're looking at in this series. We looked at two of them last week. Those two terms were clergy and laity. 
Clergy and laity now denotes a very distinct difference, a hierarchy. But we saw that in Scripture, the reality is very simple. In the body of Christ, every member, not just the paid professional, every member is called to ministry. Today we look at a third term. So here's our word for today. Priest. Priest. It's likely that you think, well, now, wait a minute, Randy. We're a branch on the Protestant tree where priests don't grow. So when you say priest, I don't really have anything to connect that to. It doesn't relate to my life. It doesn't connect with me. Well, wait a minute, because I have not only the word, I have a a sentence I'd like you to remember. Here's the sentence. You, each one of you, you are God's priest in someone's life. You. You are God's priest in someone's life. Now you say, okay, now you've really done it. Not only do I not relate to the word priest, now you're telling me that I am a priest? What in the world? What are you talking about? I'd rather just drop it all together. Let's just stay with what we've got, pastors, members, clergy, laity, and let's move ahead. But I say, wait, 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 wait. We can't do that because I took my iPhone, I opened my Bible app, and in the search function, I typed in the word priest and hit search, and 852 times in the NIV of my phone's Bible app appeared the word priest. And then I took that Strong's Concordance down off the shelf, big, thick book, and look up the word priest or priests, and it's even more than that. So we can't just ignore it and say, eh, not interested, because it's everywhere in the Bible. But you say, Randy, whoa, 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 whoa. Much of that is in the Old Testament, right? That's a fair statement. But not all of it, not by any means. It appears many times in the New Testament as well. And even Jesus himself, is called our high priest. So we need to look at it. We need to consider whether or not it's legitimate to say you are God's priest in someone's life. I can imagine that there are two questions right about now that are pretty natural to ask. The first question is this. Why do I even need a priest in the first place? Why do I even need a priest? And the second question is, why do I need to be a priest? So let's start with that first one, which won't take too long. Why do I even need a priest? Here's the situation in which we find ourselves. You and I, we're human beings. We have flesh. We have bodies. We live in a tangible, real world. And then we turn to John 4, and we see Jesus in conversation with the woman at the well where he tells her God is spirit. So there are two very different realities. The spiritual world, God, eternal, immortal, immutable, and us, human beings. And the two are separated by a large chasm. We need somebody who will build a bridge between the two so that God and people like us can know each other. I don't think it's probably been stated better than the words of the venerable old Scottish scholar William Barclay. 
who writes it like this. He says, Jesus is the great high priest. What does that mean? The Latin for priest is pontifex, which means a bridge builder. The priest is the person who builds a bridge between men and women and God. To do that, the priest must know both human nature and God and must be able to speak to God for men and women and in turn speak to them for God. Jesus is the perfect high priest because he is perfectly human and perfectly God. He can represent us to God and God to us. He is the one person through whom we come to God and God comes to us. Bridge builder. That's a priest. So Jesus has stepped into that space and built a bridge between God and humanity. That's why we need a priest. When I worked in the chaplain's office at the hospital years ago, I discovered that it wasn't infrequent that I would be approached and asked to translate. So here's a, a family that speaks only Spanish. Here's a health care provider, a nurse, a physician, speaks only English. We can't communicate. Can you come and translate? I quickly discovered that what the family wanted to know was that they had someone who understood them, understood their language, understood their terminologies, understood what they thought and wished to communicate, especially when they were angry. That's what they wanted. The healthcare provider, the physician on the other hand, wanted somebody who could not only communicate that, but wanted to be able then to communicate to them what was in her mind, his mind, their realities in their language. In other words, they wanted somebody who could build a bridge. Pontifex. Bridge builder. That's why we need a priest. Somebody who will bring these two dramatically, eternally different parties together. Somebody who can say, I know what it's like to live in your skin, in your world, to speak your words, to walk your pathways, to feel your tiredness, to have your experience, while at the same time being able to say, I know exactly what it is to be the immutable and eternal God. And both come together in this bridge builder. That's why we need a priest. But now the second question. Why do I need to be a priest? You say to me, Randy, you are God's priest in someone's life. Why do I need to be a priest? Well, for the answer to that question, let's go back to Exodus. Exodus, the 19th chapter, that passage read so well earlier by Dwight and Helen Evans. To set just a bit of the context, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt with Moses leading them. Two months to the day, they are at Mount Sinai. Moses is about to go up the mountain to speak with God. You can imagine what must have been going through the minds of that people. They had been 400 years in slavery. They had lost all sense of who they were, their identity, who this God was. They come out wondering, where are we going? Is God going to act on our behalf? Who are we anyway? And that's what God wants Moses to tell them. So back to Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. 
Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Did you notice that title, that brief phrase? You are to be to me a kingdom of priests. In other words, every single one of you, every single member of you, all of you, you will be a kingdom of priests. Everybody will be a priest. Now, lest you think this is referring only to the nation of Israel, that nation coming out of Egypt, remember that our passage from last week in 1 Peter 2, Peter in the New Testament will repeat that and then repeat it again, referring to the church of Jesus. You are a kingdom of priests, all of you, every one of you. And then John the Revelator, when he gets to the last book of Scripture, will again on different occasions refer to the people of God as a kingdom of priests. So this is not just a passing identifier. This is the very identity of the people of God and has been from the very birth of Israel's existence. You are God's priest in someone's life. So let's be even more specific about what that might look like. I want to read to you two brief quotes from two different Bible commentaries. The first is a Bible commentary that is written specifically for Bible translators. People who are taking the original language and seeking to translate it, translate it into a receptor language, particularly languages into which maybe Scripture has not yet been translated. So this commentary is written to help tease out the nuances of the language, the meanings of the words and the phrases. So of this text, where it talks about being a kingdom of priests, this is what these authors say to Bible translators. Here it is. An alternative translation for this verse is, you, and it's plural in the original, you will be a nation dedicated to me, a nation that will serve me as my intermediary or go-between to all other nations. These words, Moses, are what you, singular, are to say to the Israelites. So what God is telling Moses is, you go tell them, you are to play a role as a people, every single one of you, as my bridge builders between yourself and all the other peoples of the earth. A chasm separates me from them all. I want you to build bridges. Second quote, Old Testament scholar Douglas Stewart says, Israel's assignment from God involved intermediation they were not to be a people unto themselves, enjoying their special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world. Rather, they were to represent him to the rest of the world and attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. 
So Stuart is saying God's whole design and plan was for his people, nation of Israel, his people, the church of Jesus, to build bridges with the rest of the world. What happened? Because the people of God who are to be building bridges, somehow we've gotten into a space where we're building walls. Walls that offend and exclude and hurt and damage. God's saying, you're my priests. Yes, there's a chasm between, but find ways where you and I can connect with them and bring about reconciliation. What might that look like? When I say you are God's priest in someone's life, what might that look like? Larry Yeagley, for many years, worked as a chaplain with a special burden and heart for people who were experiencing the grief of the death of a loved one. He was deeply involved in that work and made a profound difference in many people's lives. I want to show you how Larry Yeagley conceives what happens, particularly when it comes to the spiritual side of grief. So you'll see a graph or drawing up on the screen that I use with thanks to Larry Yeagley. So picture it this way. God is up here and you're down here and you have a relationship with God. It's a two-way relationship. You connect by reading Scripture, by praying. You can sense the Spirit's work in your life, God's presence with you, and, and, and you're growing as a disciple in Jesus. But then something happens. A 1.30 a.m. phone call. Are you the parent of John Doe? A doctor's office. I'm sorry to tell you, a social worker in an ER, please, the doctor would like to talk with you, but we need to go where there's no one else around. And death crashes in on you. The next slide shows how, how Larry Yeagley pictured that. Death now has come between you and God so that when, it, when you think God is trying to reach down to me, he can't get past that. It looms bigger than anything in my life. And when I pray, my prayers don't go beyond that ceiling. There's now this barrier, this roadblock. We can't connect. There's a gulf that needs to be bridged. Yeagley says what we need is what he calls a detour person. A detour person. Exactly what happens when they shut down the road because they're working on the highway. You need a detour. So, Yeagley says, what you need, especially when somebody is struggling with anger and abandonment with God, is you need a detour person. Somebody who on the one side has their hand firmly clasped by the hand of God, and then with the other hand, they're reaching out to and drawing in and clasping the grieving person. They are a detour person so that the electric current of the Holy Spirit might course through them from God to that person, a detour person. And so I thought, what if we applied that more broadly? In other words, what if that barrier, that, that blockage between God and me is not just death, but any kind of experience? Experiences that cause anger and guilt and fear and all the other emotions that come. And that's what we tried to capture in the next slide. Who knows what may cause that? 
all kinds of experiences that are so deep and hard and difficult to address and to deal with, and now that becomes a barrier. You are surrounded by people at home, at work, at play, everywhere you go, who for some reason have an issue in their lives with God. They were abandoned as a child. They were mistreated by religious people as an adult. They want nothing to do with God. Because they picture God as a transcendental Shylock who's ready to zap them when they do something wrong. So there's a blockage, a barrier. What do they need? They need a detour person. Next slide. Has their hand clasped firmly by the hand of God, and with the other hand, they're holding on to the person who struggles so that the power of the Spirit might work. When that happens, do you know what? The Bible has a word for that. The word for that is priest. Priest. The priest is the one who bridges that gap, who brings the two together. No wonder God says, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Because every single one of you has those people in your life. Those people I could never reach. No pastor on our staff could reach. No professional could reach. We don't know them. Our lives aren't poured into them. But they know you. They love you. They trust you. But they're cut off from God. They desperately need God. You are God's priest in their life. You. Can you imagine this being a priesthood of believers? Yegley goes on to say, when a grieving person feels cut off from God, the gap is often bridged by a person who is not afraid to enter the pain of that person. That's that priest. That's that detour person. That's you. Then Yegley tells a story. I want you to hear it in his words. I spoke, he says, I spoke to a group of people who had cancer. A man in his 50s shared his story with the group. I'll call him Mr. Howell. Mr. Howell's doctor came into the hospital room and announced that the diagnosis of cancer was clearly confirmed. The disease had metastasized to many parts of his body. The prognosis was very poor. Mr. Howell was so angry inside that he could barely contain himself. He was angry at God. He felt abandoned by God and wanted nothing more to do with him. When his family left that evening, he turned off his light, turned his face toward the wall, and wept out his anger. At that point, a nurse came to the doorway of his room. Mr. Howell, are you all right? Yes, he answered sharply. Are you crying, she asked. No, he yelled angrily. Now that nurse could have turned on her heels and left Mr. Howell to suffer alone. But she didn't. She came into his room and sat down at the head of the bed. She held Mr. Howell's hand and stroked his hair. It's okay to, okay to cry, Mr. Howell, when you think you're going to die before you thought. We nurses cry, too, when our patients aren't doing well. It's okay to be angry 
We nurses are angry too when our patients are dying. If you want me to, I'll stay right here. I'll listen as long as you need to talk. Then, says Yegley, Mr. Howe made a profound statement to that group to which I was speaking. I knew, he said, I knew that the lady in a white uniform was a nurse. But she wasn't really a nurse. God was sitting by my bed. He was assuring me that even though I felt forsaken and lonely, he was still with me. That's a priest. A priest. In fact, Mr. Howell would not likely have had the theological language to describe it. The nurse would not likely have been able to give you the terms and the Hebrew and the Greek and Old and New Testament about the priesthood. That would have been totally foreign, most likely to them. But what she did know was how to be that detour person to the degree that the patient said, that wasn't a nurse. That was God. The Bible has a word for that. The word is priest. You are a priest in someone's life. Now, there's something intuitive. You know it intuitively, but I want to underline it. And that is, if you are to fulfill your role as priest, there are two people you need to know. Two people. You need to know God, and you need to know that person. Two people you need to know. So let's talk about God. You say to me, well, I mean, I, I hope I know God, but I certainly need to know Him better. How do I get to know God? There might be a variety of different answers to that question. I'll give you one, and I would suggest to you it's the best one. I would say, get to know the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So spend your time following Jesus around through the words of those who knew him best. Invest yourself in that. Follow him. Go with him. Listen to him. Watch him. Observe him. Take in what he teaches. Follow him up that mountain where he preaches that immortal, timeless sermon that raises the ethical standard of Christian living to a height that causes us to fall to our knees and say, help me, I can't do it. Follow him into the pigsty, into the, the slime of the swine as that prodigal boy slops around. Watch him as you see him fall to his knees and only one word escapes his lips, home, home. And watch the father. As he comes staggering down the lane, watch the father run. Sweep him up into his embrace. You'll get to know God. Follow Jesus into conflict. The attorney who stood before him trying to trap him and said, So, what's the most important commandment? Jesus, immediately. Love God with everything. Love others as yourself. All the rest is commentary. 
You'll get to know God. Follow him. That blood-stained path of Via Dolorosa as he climbed Skull Hill to preach his most potent and powerful and eloquent sermon on love from a pulpit made of wood. See his heart for you, for me, for broken, wounded people. You'll get to know God. And as you continue to just follow Jesus around every day of your life, you will discover that you find yourself more deeply gripped by his grace. And you will realize that you are being credentialed as a priest. You have to know two people. You have to know God. So follow Jesus around. And then you have to know this person. You have to know them. That's why this body of Christ, empowered to be the priesthood of all believers, can do what your pastors and leaders can never do. Never. You know people. We will never know. People trust you who, when I say I'm a pastor, don't speak to me again. But they know you. Pour yourself into their lives. Feel the heat of their anger. Experience the depth of their sorrow. Feel the sting of their tears on your cheeks. Hear their questions with humility and kindness and love. And as you pour yourself into their lives, you will realize that they are gripping your hand. And now both hands hurt. Because one is gripped so tightly by God, the other is gripped so tightly by them. And an electrical current called the Holy Spirit is coursing through you. Because you're a priest. You're God's priest in someone's life that not a pastor on this staff could ever reach. It'll stretch you. It'll move you out of your comfort zone. There will be times when you don't know what to do. You think, I'm unprofessional. I wouldn't train for this. Huh. And sometimes that's exactly why God can use you. I remember a time I didn't know what to do. It was, I don't know, first week, I can't remember now, first few days of chaplaincy work at the medical center. I, for some reason, I was on call that day and other chaplains weren't around, and I got a call, NICU, chaplain, please come quickly. A baby is dying. The parents want you to baptize the baby. Come quickly. And I hung up the phone and thought, now what? Don't remember this lecture. And so I walked slowly toward the elevator. And there was a dialogue going on in my mind. I did not hear the voice of the Spirit audibly. I'll be clear. But I think the Spirit elbowed his way into my mental dialogue. Because I was thinking, I know what I could tell the family if they came to my office. I could say to them, well, you know, <laughs> we're happy to help in any way we can, but... We are, remember, part of the Protestant tree. The branch we grow on believes in believer's baptism. 
That means when somebody comes of age, can think and choose and repent, then we baptize them. We'll be happy to dedicate your baby, but we don't baptize your baby. And then I kept thinking, that's a language they will not understand that will feel like God has stepped back. And I thought, what do I do? Finally walking down the hallway toward the NICU, pardon me, finally ambling down the hallway in no hurry as I continued to process. The nurse saw me coming and walked out quickly, grabbed me by the arm and said, come now. Okay. What do you need, chaplain? <laughs> I need help. <laughs> what do you need? And I said, I need water. And she brought it. We entered the room, and I was crestfallen to see how many medical professionals were in the room. I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm bumbling, and now all these people? I saw the mother and father seated, precious package in her lap. I was relieved. I'll be very honest with you. I was relieved to discover that they spoke only Spanish because I thought, now at least my bumbling won't be quite so obvious. And so I stooped by the mother and took some of that water and made the sign of the cross on that baby's forehead and said, Te bautizo en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Amen. A couple minutes, three, four, I don't know. Later, that line on that monitor was flat. And through their tears, those parents gripped my hand. Gracias. Gracias, Padre, gracias. You will be stretched. Because once you've learned this language, you have to learn this language. To be a bridge builder, you must speak both. But you know what? From beginning to end, the affirmation of Scripture is clear. You are God's priest in someone's life. Follow him around. Live very close to them. And you may just realize at one point that your hands have become quite calloused from building bridges and your priesthood credentials are sterling. Gracious God, 
that you would put into our hands, into every hand, such a high calling. We almost have no words. But we will say thank you and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.